if you don't know me, I'm Randy Coates, and I'm a part-time assistant uh, minister at Transformation Church. The interesting thing is that uh, I had asked Nathan way back at the beginning of the year if I could have a crack at John 15, and he said, sure. So I think maybe he planned his sickness way back then, right? <laughs> so anyway. So I was, um, in preparing for this, I was just thinking what the disciples were thinking as we went through John 14 and all the, all the things that they were learning. You know, Jesus told them that don't be alarmed, be of peace, I'm going, to, I'm going away to the Father. And then he's, he's going, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. And he's talking about I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then last, last week, he's, he introduces the whole concept of the paraclete or the Holy Spirit. And I was just thinking, these disciples have to be totally, totally perplexed and just not knowing what is going on. And I, uh, I, I was thinking myself, like, I, I asked these questions myself, like what, and I think the disciples were mainly thinking that, what what does God expect of me? And how do I please God? And how, how do I draw near to God? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking that actually these are questions that people have had for, millions of people had for countless centuries, these, these questions. And actually, if we're all honest, we still have these questions, especially about, you know, what does God expect of me? How do I, how do I please God? How do I draw near to God? So in the midst of these disciples' uh, perplexity and these questions, he takes them out of the city at the end of John 14. They leave the city walls. And they probably travel through or actually stop at a grape vineyard. And it is here that Jesus gives his most glorious vineyard discourse. And it's here that I think he knew that they had still had these questions. And he has a beautiful, some beautiful thoughts to tell them. And I think it's going to be a blessing to all of us as we delve into this. We're going to be going to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking through verses 1 to 17. But first, let me just pray, pray for this message. Dear Lord, just uh, would my words just be your words? When people heard me, would they just hear you? Lord, would you just... Open us up to hear what you have to say for us. Lord, would you just give us an encouragement from your word today? And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, um, as I said, that uh, we're going to be looking, starting at verse 1 in John 15, 
going to be concentrating on the first six verses, but we are going to go through verse 17. And I've, I've entitled this message called Abiding and Thriving. And uh, I think this is a theme Jesus was really trying to get across to the people. And as we dig into this passage, I, I feel that there's a, a major, major theme, a principle that Jesus wants to get across to us. And it's this. Only through an intentional, intimate, and obedient love relationship with Jesus will we be all that God desires us to be. Let me say it again. Only through an intentional, intimate, obedient love relationship with Jesus will we ever be all that God desires us to be. So as we go through these verses, just... Just look for that, look for that theme. So let's read uh, the first six verses of John 15. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will reduce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. So, he starts, I am the true grapevine. So Jesus is starting out two first two ver words right off the bat, I am. And we've talked about this before, about the great I am statements in John. This is the seventh of seven statements, I am but it's certainly not the least, just because it's the last. This whole concept of I am, the, the Jews were very aware of this because way back in Exodus 3.14, God reveals himself to Moses as I am who I am. And this is something the Jews knew very well. And in John 8, it's there that Jesus says before Abraham was I am. And because of that, they wanted to stone him for basically saying he was God. So these whole I am statements are Jesus revealing himself and his divine nature and character. So they're really a statement of divinity and purpose. Now he says, I am the true grapevine. Now, and that day, Jesus is saying, I am the real, the genuine, the actual, the correct grapevine. And they knew that what he was saying was something totally radical. Because in the Old Testament way of thinking, 
the grape yard and the vineyard, it represented uh, God's people, the Israelites. It, uh, it represented the actual people and the nation. It says in Psalm 80, 8 to 9, you brought us from Egypt like a grapevine, you drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us and we took root and filled the land. Another place in Jeremiah 2.21, it says, But I was the one who planted you, choosing a vine of the pure stock, the very best. How did you grow into this corrupt wild vine? So we have it. A takeaway on this. Jesus is the true vine. We must be connected in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus Christ himself. So this was a very drastic departure from what the disciples knew, grew up in. Um, for, for a Jew in that day, their, their identity came from being an Israelite and keeping the law rather than in Jesus. So it's just totally, totally radical concept he's now introducing. For us, what does that mean? It means our identity doesn't come from belonging to a specific church or a denomination, or it doesn't come from trying to live a good life or do good deeds. But Jesus is saying our identity comes from a connection directly to him. So he also says in verse 1, it talks, he says, and my father is the gardener. In the Old Testament, uh, God, as they knew him, was always seen as the gardener of the grape vineyard. And so Jesus is basically saying the same thing too that his father was going to be the vineyard of whom he is the vine. So in verse 2, it says, He, the father, lifts up every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So most versions of the Bible say he removes every branch of mine. I have chosen to go with a translation that says he lifts up rather than removes every branch for very good reasons. We need to understand, sometimes to understand things, you need to understand the historical context in which Jesus is saying these things. So, he most likely is in a vineyard, grape vineyard, and we know that it's early spring. So it's the actual early spring part of the early part of the growing season for the grapes. And I did, a, I did some research and from people who really know what's going on about the vineyard, especially in that day. In ancient times prior to Jesus' time, the the grape branches were allowed to just grow on the ground, but they had to lift up the grapes and get them off the ground. Otherwise, they, they would grow moldy. You just can't have the grapes laying on the ground. 
But by Jesus' day, they had already realized the importance of putting them, they put them up on a pole with horizontal bars. The actual, they, they put the branches up. And, and most likely, and by Jesus' day, the Romans had introduced the concept of trellising uh, the grape branches. So there's a good possibility that they were already on sort of trellises that we sort of understand when we see a grape vineyard. And Jesus and his disciples would have been very aware of all these things. Grape growing was just such a major part of their culture that like everyone understood about this whole grape growing thing versus like uh, we most of us don't know that. Maybe if you live in uh, Niagara Peninsula, you might know more, but we, we don't seem to know that. So why do, they, why do they raise them and put them on trellises? Well, it helps get rid of the morning dew and helps the sun get on the branches and the grapes, which is of great benefit to them. Another side benefit is that it gets the branches off off the ground so that the, the, the gardeners can go through and they can tend the grapes and tend the, the branches and actually tend tend to the weeds. So it's in the springtime that the branches were lifted up, and it, but it's also this time which they were pruned. Now, pruning was extremely critical, extremely critical to be pruned in this optimal way, which I don't even understand. I try to read it. It's just complicated. To get the optimum number of bunches of beautiful, big, luscious, delicious grapes. It's, it's a very intense process. The heavy, heavy pruning and branch removal was only ever done after the fall harvest of the grapes as it got to winter time. Sometimes branches that hadn't borne fruit were still left on the trellis over the winter for the next year in the hopes that they would bear fruit the next season. This is something that happened. Now, you want to look at it from another perspective, actually, uh, the wording. This word remove in the, in the, in the Greek is called uh, ere or arrow, and it's in, translated as to lift up with the intent to get more airflow. And this, this is where we get the uh, word airy from, like people aerate their lawns so that it gets more oxygen and so the grass is going to be a lot nicer. So that, that's why I'm, my personal feeling is I feel that this translation, he, the Father, lifts up the branches that don't bear fruit, is way more apt and appropriate. Now, the media context for, for this when he's talking it is he's talking to the 11 disciples, not the 12. Judas is gone, right? Judas is now, he is not a branch connected to the vine. 
And we've been contrasting Peter and, and Judas over these, these past weeks. So Jesus, what Jesus was saying, this is what I firmly believe. Jesus was saying, Peter, you've been messing up, you and your, your ten other buddies. But the Father is going to lift you up, help you get on the right path, and encourage you to do the right things. Jesus wasn't saying to Peter that he was going to remove him from the vine, remove him from Jesus, remove him from the kingdom of God, but rather that he was going to lift him up and make him a better follower of Jesus. We who are believers in Jesus Christ, we also are branches connected to the vine is Jesus. Believers go through seasons in their life where fruit isn't evident. Just because we don't appear to be fruitful doesn't mean we are not children of God. Remember that. Our Abba Father desires to lift us up out of the muck and mire of the, of the world and put us on his heavenly trellis in order that we bear much fruit. So takeaway for this. Our Heavenly Father, the gardener, is in the business of improving us, not removing us. Always remember that. He's improving us, not removing us. And, of course, what else he does? He prunes. He prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. As I mentioned, this pruning is very strategic, intentional, and lovingly done to to the small branch sections and and the tiny buds in order that that main branch will be the healthiest it can to produce all the fruit that it can. So the Father, he tends our lives so that our branch is going to be pruned and is going to be better connected to Jesus so that we can, we can bear this great fruit. He gets rid of all the stuff on us that's not important so that we will bear fruit. John 15.3 says, you, have been all, all, you already have been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So this whole concept of pruning can, is also, the, it was also interpreted as it could be a purification or cleansing. It's another way to call this pruning. And uh, the disciples minus Judas already had gone through the initial pruning and cleansing through what Jesus had taught them. Jesus' words and teachings have removed the things in their life that need a removing. They are branches, living branches in the vine. They are true followers of Jesus that have been cleansed and will continue to be cleansed through pruning in their lives. The same goes for us. John 14, I mean John 15, verses 4 to 5, remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. 
So this whole concept of remaining, it means to stay or abide. Those are things you, words you hear. And it, it's a description of a profound, intimate, and enduring relationship with Jesus. And it's a mutual, dynamic relationship back and forth. It's not just about us abiding in Jesus, but that Jesus also abides and remains in us. The Son comes to dwell in us as we are also indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And this, this remaining in Jesus, it starts as a choice to follow Jesus and requires our obedience to his words. What do I mean when it starts as a choice? At some point in our life, we need to recognize that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and deserve God's punishment. And it's only through our acceptance of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins that we receive forgiveness for our sins and become a living branch on the vine. We cannot gain a permanent relationship with Jesus on our own merits or efforts. It requires salvation and God's gracious gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in our lives. Remaining in Christ like this is actually can be seen as a, a new legal standing in God's sight. We have figuratively stood before the Almighty Judge of the universe, and we have had our sins pardoned. But the thing is, when we abide with Christ, it just doesn't end with our sins being pardoned. That's only the beginning. We are told that we can have a personal relationship with the Lord himself. We don't want to just be made right with God, but rather we want to be with God. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Now, in these last few verses, some things that are sort of obvious. The branches need to be continuously connected to the vine to remain alive. In contrast, the vine in the root structure doesn't need us as a branch to survive. We need to remain or abide in Christ in order to have eternal life. So what does Jesus promise in verse 4? Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. He is telling us that if we remain in him, he will always, he will always remain in us. But there needs to be a commitment on the part of both God and the disciple of Christ. This is, this is an internal relationship. And as I said, it's this mutual, dynamic, back-and-forth relationship with the creator of the universe. God's indwelling is active and real, and it's spiritual and it's practical. So it's not, it's not our initiative that sustains this relationship, though, but it's rather the creator of the universe. So in John 15.5, it says also, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So once again, Jesus is reaffirming this close relationship with him. And it's only in this close relationship that we can ever bear fruit. 
And apart from him, we can do nothing. Obviously, it doesn't mean we can't do anything. What it does mean is we can't do anything of, of eternal value for the kingdom of God. And uh, verse 6, Jesus says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Jesus gives very, very serious words to those who don't remain in him. There's various ways you could interpret this verse, but most likely for sure, Jesus had Judas in mind. Judas had just chosen to reject Jesus, and he was cut off from Jesus. He was cut off from the vine. He is condemned to eternal damnation. So burning and damnation are mutual themes that run through the scriptures. Jesus in his gospels refers to this many times. But because Jesus says, anyone who does not remain in me, I, I tend to think that this verse also applies to anyone who has chosen to reject Jesus and his message of salvation. Anyone who at death does not believe in Jesus is like a withered dead branch that will be cut off and burned up. But the, the good news is that verse 7 is coming. This this uh, whole discourse, except for verse 6, is directed for those who remain in the vine. And it's not just for disciples, it's but for all of us who trust in Jesus. This message, at least for me, it was just a great message of hope and encouragement. You know, Jesus has told his disciples he's going away, and he's going to be sending the Holy Spirit to reside in them. He was going to give them a peace of mind and heart, a peace that the world cannot give. Um, Jesus may have been verse 6, but we are beneficiaries of verse 2 and the other verses. Our Father, the gardener, is going to raise our branch off the ground and is gently going to lovingly prune us for a harvest of abundant fruit. Now, when we abide in the vine and are tended by the gardener, we are in a position to be found in verses 7 and 8, which say, and these are beautiful verses, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. This is like an incredible statement because... He's, he's saying you can get to a place where your prayers that you're praying are totally in line with the Lord and they're going to be answered. It's something like, it's hard for me to understand, but that's what he's saying. And We, we can be in a, in a connection with Jesus that brings much fruit and that pleases the Father and actually brings glory to the Father. And this takes me back to my original main theme to, for us to remember. Only through 
an intentional, intimate, obedient love relationship with Jesus will we be all that God desires us to be. As I was reading through all this, I, I had some questions because at least they apply to me, maybe to, maybe to you, maybe. Why, why do I struggle at times pursuing this intimate relationship with Jesus? Why do I fight Jesus' desire to be all that he desires of me? And even when I desire the first two things, I ask myself, just how, how, how can this be done? And maybe these, these questions have come through your mind too. I think that the, the verses in 9 through 17 can help us a, a bit in this regard. And I, I'm going I'm to read 9 through 17 right now. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. <clears throat> this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. This passage, just these verses right here are so deep that time, time doesn't allow us to, to even really dig deep into all this. But what I really stood out the most to me when I read these and meant a lot to me was verses 9 to 11. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Whenever you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. This is what I call the, the amazing love of Jesus. This is something we need to try to understand. Jesus is telling us that he loves us with the love the Father has for him. Do you, do you get that? Jesus loves us with the same love Father has for him. This, this love that Jesus has for us is, is so great that there's no human illustration that's adequate. Not even the love of a mother for a newborn child even comes close. This love is so indescribable that Jesus has to explain it in the terms of the love the Father has for him. The author Christopher Morgan in his book, The Love of Jesus, says this. That's a great quote. This surely is Christ's superlative word concerning his love for his own. It leaves nothing more to be said. What the love of the Father is for the Son, who can tell? The very suggestion fills the soul with the sense of profound depths which cannot be fathomed. That's sort of like, when I read that, I go, yeah, that's... That's what I feel like. I, I, I agree with that. 
Spurgeon, the great pastor and writer, said this, Beloved, you do not, dare not, could not doubt the love of the Father to his Son. It is one of those unquestionable truths about which you never dreamed of holding an argument. Our Lord would have us place his love to us in the same category with the Father's love to himself. We are to be as confident of the one as of the other. Incredible, just incredible. Key takeaway. Remaining in the vine, who is Jesus, means remaining in his love, under trying to grasp it and reciprocate this love. When we start to grasp this love that Jesus has for us, at least for me, it compels us to love him and abide with him with our whole hearts. And when we dwell in the love of God, we understand that we are part of him. And this, this whole abiding in Christ, which is catalyzed by his love for us, it compels us to obey his words, his commandments, and to love others. And these actions done in love, loving obedience, they also then lead us to be filled with an overflowing joy. So, as I've meditated on these things, it just motivates me to pursue this intimate relationship and connection to Jesus. Um, the worship team can come up now as we sort of wrap things up. Uh, there's two more thoughts about this whole thing that, uh, that we've been talking about. This pursuing this close relationship with Jesus and how much he loves us is something that has to go from here to here. And maybe you've heard the term, it's something that you, it's caught, it's not taught. Um, and all these passages in John 15 need to be understood in the context of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now I realize Jesus in this passage which I'm speaking on today isn't talking about the Holy Spirit but he's talked about it in John 14 and he's going to be talking about it very soon or next week and it is he who works within us and helps us to have the spiritual mind and heart that enables us to abide in the vine it's always the work of the Holy Trinity as Nathan talked the other day other week it's the divine dance of the holy trinity working in us it's like it's a, it's like a mystery it really is so to wrap it up um what does what does god expect of us answer he wants to abide in us and thrive in us he wants us to abide in Jesus, in the vine, and produce great fruit. The questions I ask myself, how, how do we know God's pleased with us? And how do we draw near to God? Well, the answer to that is that what I've said, only, only through an intentional, intimate 
obedient love relationship with Jesus. Will that happen? It's simple, intellectually, but to put it in practice, it's, it can seem overwhelming. What is the Father going to do? He is going to lift us up. He's going to lift us up when we're in the muck and mire, and he's going to put us on that heavenly trellis. So there we're catching the sun, both literally and figuratively, right? Catching the sun. And what else is he going to do? And, and, and that this is all done. It's not discipline. Always keep in mind, this is never discipline. It's never, it's never, it's never punishment. It's never punishment. What else is he going to do? He's going to lovingly, intentionally, and strategically prune us. This is something that you can count on. In every believer's life, this is going to happen. Sometimes it happens daily. It, it, it happens in our lives, and it's done to make us spiritually healthy so that we will bear fruit. And this whole aspect of love, this, this God's love for us, and our reciprocation of loving God back for what he's done, it's our motivation to pursue this abiding in the vine. But it's actually, it's actually the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us that is, is the power and enablement to do this. I was thinking, as, as I wrap up, I was thinking of these questions myself, and I, I present them to all of us. What would it look like if we agreed to acknowledge to love the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for us? What if we just opened our hearts up to him and let his love pour in? What if? What if we just allowed ourselves to see ourselves as Jesus does, what if we forgave ourselves and stopped thinking we were unworthy of his great love? What if we willingly received God's love and then willingly loved him back with all intentionality of our heart and with our strength and sought to abide with Jesus? What would our lives look like? What would our church look like? What would our community look like if we desire to be all that God desires us to be? Let me just pray. Lord, I just pray that these words would sink in from our head to our heart, that we would understand the simplicity of what you expect from us, what pleases you, how to draw near to you, and, Lord, that we would start to understand this mighty love for you, the love you have for us, Lord. Now may the love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit so fill you that your abiding in Jesus produces a great harvest of fruit in your life, your church, and your community, 
May your love be evident to all. And may you live each day with purpose, joy, and peace. Amen.